Ladies and gentlemen, shout out to Channel 4 for making the talk uh, drop last night as I record. Got that recorded. Can't wait to watch it. Looks amazing and highly important. In a word, a public enemy's Chuck D. Bring the noise. Fulfillment Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor and this is What's Good. Welcome back ladies and gentlemen, hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. I'm trying to think like of, uh, trying, I'm trying to think of my week because I always try and do that but <laughs> I don't know, it just went black all of a sudden. I don't know, it's been okay, it's been solid, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those weeks, you know, not, not memorable, unmemorable, oh wait. Yeah, you know, I'll tell that story in the week where, because um, <laughs> it's prevalent to one of the topics, <laughs> but apart from that one, uh, it's uh, it's been a pretty good week for me personally, it's okay, it's not, can't complain, can't complain at all. Um, shout out to, uh, on on 5EPN News, um, shout out to the Search of Source Boys, um, there is a interview coming, uh, don't know, we haven't decided whether it's going to be all in one or in two parts, um, but it's uh, super long, it's super detailed, and if you are a writer in any form or fashion, you should listen to that interview. Just just going to say it like that, I'm not going to tell you who it is, um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a worthy interview to, watch, uh, to listen to. Uh, if you're any type of writer, to be completely honest, you know, obviously it's more about music journalism because music journalism podcast. But I think it, I think it matters in most facets of writing. Um, some of the gems dropped are very uh, poignant and uh, relevant to um, other forms of writing. So just stay, stay on lookout for that in search of source. Uh, look that up right now. Whatever you're listening to this, um, it's on Fifth Element as well. It's on Spotify, Apple, all of that. Wherever you're listening, just type up in search of source and you'll find it there. And stay tuned for next week. Um, I'll I'll be uh, shouting that out next week as well since uh, another episode of What's Good is going to drop before that, even, uh, before that even comes through. But without further ado, let's just hop right into the show. Formalities before we begin. Email, Twitter, IG, Facebook as well, Discord links, everything, everything, everything to do with this episode is going to be in the full show notes. So give that a clickety click and support the people that help make this show possible. And 90% of it is me, so support me. <laughs> oh, let the beat drop and let's get into the show. In a week where, as Northern England locked down again, well, I think it's like the west of North England, like Manchester and Lancashire and that, but anyway, as Northern England locked down, uh, lockdowns, locks down again, Tory MP Craig Whitaker says, um, it's the BAME communities that are not taking it seriously enough. Hmm. 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 That's, that's a, that's an interesting take, Mr. Whitaker. That's an interesting take. Um, just, just as a, you know, just a, just completely uh, off-topic question. Um, have you seen any of the beaches that have gone viral in the past few months? Have, have you seen any of them? Have, have you seen any of them? Yeah, go ahead, go have a look at those. Um, you know, Bournemouth Beach, whatever. Just, just go have a look. Just, just go have a look. And, and while you're there, while you're looking at that, uh, do me a favour. Uh, have a look at uh, how many... Um, quote-unquote BAME uh, people, uh, communities, are present in those photos. Uh, I, I, w- I would um, hazard a guess that you'll be hard-pressed to find people like that. And, you know, obviously this is pertaining to Northern England and uh, Manchester in particular, which has a strong uh, Muslim community. And if you've been watching the news, um, and they, they, if they have... I don't know if they have because I haven't been 
watching the news specifically as it pertains to this topic. But if you have, um, you know, from what I've seen, uh, you know, in terms of people trying to, you know, explain if any of this is has any shred of fact, um, trying to fact check this, um, every time I see pictures of, um, you know, uh, of a uh, Muslims going to uh, a prayer. Um, they seem relatively socially distanced. Go look at Mecca. There was a video. There was like a um, a whole um, it was like a time lapse of like one day at Mecca, uh, the other day, and they were so they were so <laughs> they were so uh, uh, apart from each other. It was it was it was mad to see honestly because it was in such perfect distance towards each other. It was actually crazy. It was so regimented. Um, so yeah. Uh, Obviously, this is a bullshit quote. If any of you've got that satire, it's, it's bullshit. Um, go fuck yourself, Craig Whitaker. Um, you are probably one of those people that went to beaches. I, I would hazard a guess. Uh, if you, <laughs> yeah, maybe, because white people definitely have a better chance out of uh, any of us that go uh, that go to the beach. Um, I should know. Uh, I, I, I I walk the dog and then I see many families coming home from the beach. Uh, which is which is interesting. So uh, yeah, just a just a hintedy hint on that. Uh, Anthony Taylor charges Arsenal to their fourth 14th FA Cup, beating Chelsea two one. Um, yeah, that was that was a fun watch. So yeah, as things of what I did this week, I went to see my dad for the first time since lockdown, and um, shout to his beard. Um, <laughs> I've never seen his beard like that, man. It's like it's so grey, so grown out. It's crazy. I thought I thought my hair was uh, the one thing that changed, uh, uh, you know, visually for both of us. But apparently, he's uh, beat me to the punch. Um, I was completely dumbfounded. He opened doors like, "Oi, okay." Um, but yeah, that 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 while while Arsenal deserved to win that match, uh, there was there was so much insult to injury to to that uh, to the, to watching that. Like, there was why did Kovacic like get fouled, like uh, get get red carded for? Not even touching a dude, like, I don't even know, like, Martinez with the ball, like, come on, bro. Anyway, moving on. The Rock partners with Redbird Capital to buy the XFL for 15 mil. Imagine buying a whole league of something. Imagine buying a whole sports league for 15 mil. That's just, that's chump change to some people, I'll tell you, that's crazy. Uh, leaked body cam footage shows more detail in the murder of George Floyd. So, for those guys, for those people that have anything... Um, any, if, if you're one of those rare people, um, that think, um, uh, in any fashion that, you know, the death was justified or any of that, go over people that, go over people that, there's more, more footage for you to, uh, to look through. Um, and lastly, an explosion in Beirut, Lebanon has killed at least a hundred and injured 4,000. I don't know if you guys seen the video to that one, uh, the explosions, uh, I've seen, I've seen it in several angles and wow, like mushroom cloud level. Um, delayed sonic booms, like glass shattering from miles away. I might even saw one uh, where there was like people in, on the water, like on a, in a boat. They were videoing the explosion. The explosion happened, and then a few seconds later, like a huge, just well, not even huge, but like a major like ripple. You know, you know, you just know them. You know them shock waves that you know you can see when you, um, I don't know. When you just see wind like go whoosh on, onto water, I'm explaining this really terribly. Can you can you tell I'm a scientist? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, that that happened basically. It's just, just a whole like uh, like a sonic boom of water just went whoosh right right to them. It's was, it was crazy to look at, but anyway, um, there's been there's been multiple reports coming out about that. You know, multiple updates about uh, coming out of that, and um, yeah, this goes crazy to see and uh, all them. Everything else uh, apparently has uh, pertained to Beirut um, and uh, Lebanon itself as a country has um, kind of come to a head. You know, COVID and economy or whatever. That's kind of a um, it's literally a boiling point in 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 the very literal sense. All right, so we shall begin with we have a stacked episode today. This will definitely go over an hour. Might go into an hour fifteen to be honest, because there's a lot to talk about. Let's start with uh, film and TV. Um, so, for those that, if you've been living under a rock uh, in the past week, uh, you 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 all might not know um, that Beyonce dropped a film. Um, uh, 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 I don't know if it's, would you want to call it like a musical film? Uh, I don't know, but a film on uh, Disney Plus called Black Is King. 
And you know, if you've seen if you've seen pictures and what well, if you've seen it at all, because I personally haven't. I don't have Disney Plus and don't seek to get Disney Plus anytime soon, so I probably won't see it. Um, but regardless of that, I've been hearing interesting opinions um, from people that have seen it, and just opinions about you know um, Beyonce as a um, um, I guess as a what, what 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 should what should I call it? There's as a there's a phrase I'm looking for here. Like not not just a not just a filmmaker, but like a um, as a visual uh, purveyor in a sense, right? That's a very tooly way of saying it, but <laughs> a visual purveyor. Um, I'm 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 basically talking about you know obviously the uh, the the many 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 uh, visual homages. Uh, she puts in her work and obviously Black is King is kind of like a uh, connection to The Gift, obviously the Lion King album she did uh, last year it's heavy connections to that uh, it's basically one big music video I guess if you want to take it like that and put it simply um, but I've been hearing interesting interesting conversation around it, you know I don't, I don't think, it's not I wouldn't say it's all been um you know, all been positive, right? Because obviously there are people that are just going to watch it and just go, ah, it's great, ah, oh, that's amazing, oh, that's great, that's great, Beyonce, 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 right? But I think there's a criticism here to be had. Um, not just to Beyonce, you know, not not in a negative sense either, but a criticism nevertheless, and a criticism more on um, a, a potential phenomena that this could probably um, create out of this, and um, it's highly possible. Um, so let me just jump right into to, to this article I found. This is on Essence, written by Judy Gail Irakose. I had to look that up, trust me. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's a solid name. And uh, it's called uh, Why We Must Be Careful When Watching Beyonce's Black is King. So I thought it was a good middle ground to find, you know, because um, I, I don't, I don't, I feel, I feel like there is a conversation to have here, you know, and I just wanted to find something that created that conversation instead. So, so let's just jump right in. I was nine years old when I told my Burundian parents that my dream was to dance for Beyonce, and you should have seen their shocked faces. I didn't speak English back then, so it took moving to the US at 17 and learning Bay's native tongue to probably fall in love with her music. She has shaped my entire life and validated my black existence in ways I could never fit into one article. I want to make sure you all understand what I'm about to say is not about Beyonce as a person or necessarily her art. This is an ongoing conversation among decolonizing spaces and pan-African theorists that no other black person has ever gained freedom by claiming to be king. White supremacy has done a number on black people with slavery and colonialism at the top, taking away the possibility for us to evolve on our own. It violently and intentionally robbed us of a past and left us unaware of who we were to a continuous erasure of our beloved memories through the devaluation of oral and written history. It's left us with imagined stories rooted in the white gaze. There is real danger in romanticising pre-colonial Africa. The glorification of kingdoms before white men uh, met us erases the reality that Africa wasn't exactly a paradise. African kingdoms were rife with slavery, imperialism, women's oppression, class oppression. Not everyone was a king or even a queen. More importantly, not every black person in African countries had the potential of being born into a royal family or accessing its benefits. Our beloved uh, Toni Morrison told us, quote, The very f- serious function of racism is distraction. It keeps you explaining over and over again your reason for being. Somebody says you have no language and you spend 20 years proving that you do, unquote. This has been our struggle as black people living under the blinding effects of the white gaze by continuously proving that we are worthy and even more harshly by participating in structures that uphold whiteness such as capitalism and imperialism under the guise of black power. My queen Beyonce is a powerful transcending artist with the power to instill uh, instill in us uh, liberating imaginations. As a woman African, de- as a woman of African descent, doesn't say of there, but I'm assuming I should say that. As a woman of African descent whose ancestors survived generations of enslavement, she has the right to tap into her Africanness and find her connections to the continent and her belonging belonging to the land. But when she willingly, through her art, through her art, participates 
in telling romanticised African royalty stories rooted in glamorising Africa, she indirectly dehumanises our Africanness. She validates neo-colonialism, entrenched in negotiating and proving our humanity by pretending we're superhuman. One could wonder are, one could wonder are African humans with dignity if they are not kings and queens draped in gold and diamonds? Are we saying our ancestors shouldn't have been enslaved uh, because they were kings and queens and not simply because they were humans? Honouring our ancestors isn't about creating false illusions of who they were or how they lived. Being dishonest to ourselves with these royal narratives ingrained in the elite extravaganza of the continent won't change the fact that the master's tools will not dismantle the master's house, shout Audre Lorde. Black capitalism, black imperialism, black monarchies were never our freedom. And they won't be, even if we add black faces to these systems. They will still oppress the black community since they are rooted in anti-blackness. The acclaimed pan-African revolutionary Kwame Ture said to paraphrase, Black struggle is a struggle for the land, and the land for me is the belonging. It's time our imaginations as black people cross the diaspora break free from the white gaze and the constant desire to defy it. Our energy should be used for imagining real black futures where we don't have to participate in capitalism and imperialism to be granted humanity. We should resist neocolonialism by choosing to tell decolonized stories that tap into the full breadth of who we are as human beings, as pure or dirty, as holy or evil. To Beyonce, whom I love so much, thank you. The film was rich, beautiful and entertaining, but I expected more. I hope that you would have engaged Africa and blackness not rooted in a capitalistic stance. I hope you would have let the world into the everyday realities of Africans, because while we woke up to a gift from Beyonce filled with rich imagery, we also woke up to the news of activists in Zimbabwe arrested for protesting against the government's violence towards, pe towards the people. To end this, I would love for the black diaspora in, in their journey to relate to the continent to be more aware of the power dynamics that exist on the continent. It's my hope that in this heightened awareness, the diaspora doesn't unwillingly participate in harmful systems that injure our motherland. Beyonce can better love Africa by creating decolonizing art that tells black people that we don't have to be associated with a monarchy to matter. So that was a very, that was actually a very, really great article to be honest, like um, in terms of what I wanted um, in this conversation, that's exactly what I wanted, exactly what I wanted, because I've felt that in my own personal writing recently, um, not to, you know, give away anything, but like, I've recently written something, um, well, I wrote a script a few, wait, a few years ago, and I'm now trying to, um, develop it, um, further, um, where, it's some a part of it, and not 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 like you know significant part of it or anything, but like one character is based in um, Ashanti Kingdom Africa, right? Well, that's even pending. I don't even know if I'm gonna pick Ashanti Kingdom Africa, but I've, I've put that for I'll put that for now. Let's just say that for now, let's pin it um, temporarily. Um, so yeah, I've had that right, and you know I've done you know kind of just. A, a, a little bit of research, you know, not 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 extensively, um, not to the level I want want to go to. Um, that will come down the line, um, but I've done a little bit, right? And trying to form a timeline um, throughout as well. Um, so not just going, not just staying in Africa, but um, also going to um, Brazil, um, to Portugal as well as the UK. And I'm, and I was trying to form a timeline through those, um, a thread through those countries, and just to say my thought process between uh, between those countries. If you're asking why those countries, um, you know, a high percentage of um, slaves during the transatlantic uh, slave trade um, mainly went to um, the Caribbean and the South Americas, um, actually. I forget the specific number, but I think it's like 20-something percent of um, all um, enslaved people uh, that uh, went to the, that, you know, out of the, out of all of the enslaved people during the trans transatlantic slave trade era, um, only 20-something percent of them went to the US and the rest of them were in the Caribbean and South America. So um, 
I've kind of made that thread and stuck it to Brazil um, because a, a lot of them, you know, came there. And then there was also Maroons. Um, for people that don't know what Maroons are, basically people that um, uh, resisted slavery and um, basically created communities um, in elsewhere. Um, and yeah, basically, basically a community of um, uh, people that resisted slavery basically and you know it's obviously a very basic um definition but go look it up it's actually very fascinating like jamaica maroons um brazilian maroons it's fascinating stuff anyway um so yeah i've kind of based in there and obviously brazil as you can imagine by the language by the overriding language now over there is portuguese so there's obviously portuguese um uh native portuguese people um uh, soldiers and stuff you know just i'm trying to you know it's safe in Brazil, da da da. So yeah, that's just basically what I'm thinking. That whilst like you know, what I've been trying to do recently um, in my writing, and I was I was thinking about um, you know, obviously how um, the safe trading happened, right? Because I don't know about you guys, but um, I think when you initially learn that kind of stuff, um, it's very easy to just um, you know, if you're watching Black is King or, you know, even Black Panther, really, like, if, you, if, you, if you're watching these kind of things, um, obviously there's levels to that, you know, them too, but you know what I mean. Um, when you're watching those, you can easily, you know, gain a false sense of, like, um, um, I guess a, 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 a combined identity, Pan-Africanism, basically, right? Um, but the fact of the matter is that before slavery, um, the, you know, the, the term, you know, like blackness and, um, and, you know, all the, all the, all the context we have towards, you know, you know, the, the black identity now and, you know, how we try and, you know, uplift each other and that kind of stuff. Not to say that's all negative, by the way, you know, just, I'm just obviously it's all positive um but there was no such thing as that before the slave trade era there wasn't you know in africa there wasn't that there wasn't like you know you're my brother you know what i mean like <laughs> not, not dapping people up you know <laughs> you know what i'm saying like regardless of where they come from like i'm like uh, they're not dapping each other up like they're dapping like me dapping up an american brother you know what i mean it's like it's not it's not the same, right? The the essence is not the same. Um, racializing ourselves didn't exist until, um, you know, the British, Dutch, Portuguese, etc., etc., Europeans, white Europeans went to Africa because they start they ra- they racialized us before we even racialized ourselves, you know. Um, so I've ever since I learned that I've been constantly thinking about that and obviously how. Um, before, you know, this, and, and, and just to say, you know, I'm, I'm not, I have got a, you know, that many deep, I haven't got any roots in Africa, right, uh, you know, right about now, um, not in terms of like ancestry, obviously ancestry, you know, could, can say a lot of things, but I mean, just in terms of people I know, um, you know, just the, the, the news I am, I'm aware of, obviously the Zimbabwe mention was a, a very poignant mention, I was actually going to talk about it on the show this this episode, but I might, um, I was going to, I didn't feel like I had the, uh, enough information, so I thought I'd leave it for, an, for a week and uh, see if I can approach it next week, because I really want to, um, but yeah, like, even even now maybe, I don't, I don't know, I'm just taking a stab, that being racialised um, in um, Africa is, you know, not as prevalent as, um, as it is, as it kind of has to be, you know, in places like the UK, um, Italy, um, Germany, the US, obviously, you know, being a black British person is, has its own baggage, and you have to have that, um, and obviously, you know, the you're just racialized constantly, right? Um, you, do, you know, the, the, the ultimate goal here is to, you know, not see ourselves as just, um, you know, as like, you know, first thing in the identity top five, it's not like black British, you know what I mean? It's like, 
you don't that that, that doesn't mean anything anymore. That's that's kind of the utopian goal of seeing things of not have, of saying like you know what I'm not black British I'm just I'm just I'm just a dude you know what I mean I'm just a dude um, but obviously that's a long way to go but um, I say all that um, just to you know say and add to this kind of conversation um, that's been put forward here and um, <clears throat> and I just find it interesting you know in terms of um, <clears throat> I haven't seen Black is King um, and I probably and I said I probably won't. Um, but while it obviously, you know, rightly so inspires a lot of people and obviously in terms of casting and, uh, you know, and just hiring, um, Beyonce did a lot of great work with that. You know, she filmed in several locations, not just Africa, but in America and I think London as well. So, you know, that's all great. Right. And we should hail her for that reason, for the, off that alone. You know, she's doing more for... She's doing more for black film than um, Hollywood has done <laughs> all year, probably. You know what I mean? Um, that's just that might be a fact. I don't know if it's a fact, but it might be. Um, so yeah, while that's all well and good, um, I feel like there is a um, there is a conversation that needs to be had here um, amongst ourselves um, and amongst yourself, I guess, um, if you if you are. Um, um, if you are black in any uh, in any particular country, um, so yeah, I'll leave it at that. But um, shout out to Beyonce, of course. Uh, you know, black is king, all that. <laughs> Since we're talking about uh, women in music, um, I might as well t- uh, go over to music and talk about uh, this amazing article I found. Um, this is absolutely, it's absolutely slaps. It's absolutely clean. Absolutely love it. So, um, and I just had to read it just, just, just off this alone. It's great, absolutely great. Um, so this is um, women in hip hop cannot thrive while misogynoir exists. This is by Taylor Crumpton. And this is via Harper's Bazaar. Um, for those who don't know, misogynoir is um, misogyny, but just towards black women specifically. So, hence noir, black. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Right, cool. <laughs> that fr- that <laughs> that C in French uh, is really, really, uh, really making uh, making waves for me. <laughs> so let's just jump right in. Uh, this is it starts off with a quote. Um, it was just the worst experience of my life, and it's not funny, it's nothing to joke about, it was nothing for you all to start going on, uh, start going and making fake stories about, said Megan the Stallion on Instagram Live, holding back tears as she addressed her shootings, quote, I didn't put my hands on nobody, I didn't deserve to get shot, unquote. The men in, hip-hop, the men in the hip-hop community have failed Megan the Stallion. On social media, she was mocked and mean, diminishing the gravity of the violence enacted upon her. It points to a larger problem, the sadistic nature of misogynoir and hip-hop, an industry stained by the blood of violence against black women by its forefathers. Hip-hop, a genre born from the overt abuse and brutality of black com- brutality black communities have suffered by law enforcement, upholds the patriarchy. It's one of the few spaces where black men can emulate the power ideals of whiteness. It's a developed framework that justifies Chris Brown's existence on Billboard's chart despite his physical assault of Rihanna in February 2009. Instead of being held accountable by his peers, he was welcomed into a fraternity of success and masculinity built on the dehumanization of black women. It's often said that black women are fighting two wars based on the intersections of race and gender. Misogyny is institutional oppression against women at large, but misogynoir is the dehumanization of black women perpetuated through individual, societal and cultural violence towards black women. Until men in hip-hop show generous support and investment for black women in hip-hop, black women will never be granted justice, not even in death. As black women took to the streets to protest the death of Breonna Taylor, social uh, social media and blogs reduced their calls for justice to a superficial meme, a trend void of the richness uh, and complexity of her life. When the news when news broke about Megan's attack, Twitter erupted with misogynistic memes from black users centered on her ass, boobs, and knees, implying that the loss of her sexual appeal mattered more to her more than her actual life. Her face was superimposed on Ricky Baker's, played by Morris Chestnut, when he is shot in the film Boys in the Hood, and Madame Vera Walker, played by Della Reese, when her piggy toe is shot in Harlem Nights. 
The migration of memes across social media platforms reinforces the devaluation of black women's celebrity and hip-hop culture, where their full humanity is reduced, sexualized, and rendered one-dimensional. One of the most compelling MCs and lyricists of her generation, Megan Stallion is hip-hop's biggest star. Okay, well, I, I, I was going to say something about Biggest Star, but, you know, not the time for that. Um, not the time for hip-hop bullshit. Um, she has accomplished worldwide success and renowned for her explicit lyrics that put her put women in power, catering to their satisfaction and fulfillment as she raps about her quote-unquote player ways and skimpy clothes. She is the Houston hottie with a model body, yet through a uh, patriar- patriarchal lens, men in hip-hop seek to reconstruct her lyrics of empowerment as justification for objectifying her body as a holding place of male desire, rage, and violence. Who hears a black woman's cries of fear and pain if their personhood is stripped away? If black women are no longer regarded as human, then the bo- their bodies are deemed, de- uh, deemed deserving of disproportionate amounts of pain. If black women are no longer granted femininity, then their bodies are subjected to transphobic attacks in an attempt to validate the violence they endure. Cameron responded to Megan's attack by reposting an Instagram post that said her shooter, quote, saw that dick and started shooting, I don't care what no one say, unquote. His commentary reflects a double standard in hip-hop's misogynistic framework, one that awards male rappers for protecting themselves against an aggressive assailant, but blames them for behaviour that results in gun violence. 50 Cent, who survived being shot nine times uh, from his debut album Get Richard Die Tryin', uh, posted a meme about uh, Megan's injury, which he later apologised for and deleted after her Instagram live session. Megan Thee Stallion didn't deserve to get shot. Lisa Rios didn't deserve to be hit by Big Pun. D Barnes didn't deserve to be attacked by Dr. Dre. Steph Lover didn't deserve to be harassed by DJ Funk Master Flex. Uh, Linda Williams didn't deserve to be punched by Damon Dash. Lil Kim didn't deser- deserve to be in a violent relationship with Notorious B.I.G. Drew C- Dixon, uh, Syl Abrams, Sherry Share, and others didn't deserve to be sexually assaulted by Russell Simmons. Simmons has denied the allegations. Uh, Misogynoir is an intra-communal pandemic. Oppressive structures are maintained by the erasure of an intentional neglect of individuals who are disregarded and marginalised. In a white supremacist society, hip-hop is unique because of its existence as one of the few influential structures where cisgender, heterosexual black men can be in positions of power. But the silence toward black women is reflective of the patriarchal systems they have upheld. Hip-hop has provided a space for black men to build empires and legacies. Def Jam Recordings, Rockefeller Records and Bad Boy Records have affirmed Russell Simmons, Jay-Z and Diddy's places as worldwide ambassadors for hip-hop culture. Where was Jay-Z following Megan's attack? She signed to Rock Nation Management and collaborated with Beyonce on the Savage Remix, but he said nothing. Where was Diddy? He featured on her. Uh, he featured her on his COVID-19 dancethon, but he also said nothing. Uh, though some men like Wale and Twenty One Savage showed their support, the majority of voices in hip hop who display comfort and support for Megan Thee Stallion were black women who historically have shown up for themselves when no one else would. Before the age of 25, Megan Thee Stallion has uh, had publicly lost her mother and grandmother. Yet during her ascension to stardom, she and through grief. She still continued to reach out and support hotties with engagements on social media, uh, charitable donations to her hometown of Houston, and a cash app campaign. On her July 27th Instagram Live, her first appearance since the shooting, she continued to show that resilience, assuring us, quote, a bitch is alive and well, strong as fuck. I'm ready to get back in, uh, back to regular programming with my hot girl shit. Dot, dot, dot. I can't keep putting my energy in a bunch of you motherfuckers. Unquote. It's not the responsibility of black women in hip-hop to address the rag- radic- racialized sorry, and sexual violence uh, towards their community. Black men in hip-hop need to participate in the disinvestment of misogyny in the culture instead of silence. In order for black women in hip-hop to live and thrive, the structure of misogynoir must be abolished. So, shout out to Taylor Crumpton for that. Um, amazing uh, piece of writing and highly poignant and... Uh, I am sure will unfortunately will be for you know a while because, um, you know as you as as it's hip hop is nearly fifty years old, guys. Like it's it's nearly fifty years old as a as a as a musical element as a you know as a culture as a um, as an entity. It's nearly fifty years old, right? 
and it's still hard um, for people to gauge this and the main problem I find with this because I personally feel um, like I'm in a place where I can objectively see this and um, you know objectively and subjectively um, understand and empathize with um, uh, black women in general um, but in this case obviously hip-hop music as well um, you know I personally like Megan Stanley's, uh, Megan Stanley's music. I, I love her music. Like she's she's great. Like her bars are clean. Um, her imagery is like just fire. Like it's just great. Like her 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 overall just um, brand and uh, and just attitude is um, highly commendable. And it's just uh, and it's just really good music. Um, to be honest. Um, and you know, just as a personal note, um, and I've I've said this before on this podcast and other ones as well like I make a personal um attempt to listen to um uh, uh fe- female artists um regardless if they um you know because there's there's many there's many um uh, there's many facets of a female hip-hop artist obviously you know if you if you're outside you know, it's very, fuck, even inside, to be honest, let's be real, regardless of, you know, some people just can't get rid of the, you know, of, like, the, of, like, the Lil' Kim, Queen Latifah dynamic, or the, um, Nicki Minaj, Rhapsody dynamic, and I'm not going to explain it further, because it, if you've listened to their music, you get what I mean, right, it's, 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 it's a, there's a, there's a, there's a there's an attempt to um, try and you know separate the two, right? Um, but I feel like there's um, they're all relevant, right? In the same way that a um, as a as a as an artist that flexes how many cars they have, how many jewel, how much jewelry they have, you know, the money hoes and clothes rappers to the, um, to the quote-unquote backpack rappers, right, (laughs) you know what I mean, um, and, uh, you know, you guys can educate yourselves on those kind of things if you want, uh, just for, I'm just saying it for conversation, um, but there seems to be a disconnect, um, towards, um, uh, especially men, um, as hip-hop fans and female hip-hop artists, yeah, I can listen to Megan Thee Stallion, and you know, while it's not specifically for me, and that's another thing that we all that we ah, fuck never ever. Most people just can't get out of their heads, and it's so hard for people. I don't know why it is, but it's so hard for people to understand, right? That some music just isn't made for you, right? And I'm not saying that in terms of like you shouldn't listen to it or you can't listen to it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that for you know for like uh, for example white people black musicians do not make music for you hence why you can't say certain words right <laughs> or, or why you can't use um african-american vernacular on your tweets you know the black scent stuff like that right is you can you can you can consume all of that all you want but you trying to emulate that is super problematic, right? And on another brink and another wrinkle to that is just in terms of audience, right? Just in, just in terms of audience, City Girls is not directed to me. <laughs> you know, then they're not making music for this guy, right? They're just not. But I can listen to them, and I can I can I can objectively see what they're trying to do, right? I may not rate it. It's not for me. It's not for me. That's fine. Not, not everything has to be for you. All right. Uh, there's, a, there's an entitlement that music listeners and you know consumers of a lot of things ha- have, and it's really odd, and sometimes worrying. And uh, my last point on this, um, and it's kind of on a on a bum note, um, because 
the memes that were going around about Megan Thee Stallion, I'm worried that while that is obviously a perpetuation of hip-hop patriarchy and misogynoir, um, while I completely agree with that, that it's all upholding those things and those uh, structures, I also um, think that it's something that a, um, you know... uh, uh, male male rapper A um, doesn't really have any, um, uh, I guess, uh, control over. Unless you're 50 Cent. Fuck 50 Cent. But, um, yeah, unless you're 50 Cent, who regularly purveys in memes and tries to be a troll on the internet, um, you know, not many, not many people do, not many, you know, rappers do that, you know? Um, they're not posting memes like they're a meme page, right? Other than 50 Cent, right? Um, and maybe, you know, people like, I don't know, Zach Fox, for example, right? But that's, that's a different kind of way. Anyway, um, I feel like the meme, meme culture in hip-hop is, while it upholds um, the uh, the structures that we've named here, I feel like the, that's, a, that's a different beast that is kind of uncontrollable and, to be honest, has no face. You know, I've always wondered personally, like, who the fuck make, makes these memes most of the time? Because you don't know if they're white or black. You don't know who they are. You know what I mean? But you rate the meme and that's it. Like, if you rate a meme, you rate a meme. But sometimes you just don't know who the fuck created it. And, you know, that's just, that's super worrying to me. Um, and especially to things like this, when you're, you know, superimposing Meg on uh, Ricky's head, uh, Ricky Ricky's body gets shot. Like, it's just... That's just distasteful, and you know, how do you feel? What do you what do you imagine? Who's making that? Do you think it's like a black dude? Do you think it's a black woman? Do you think it's a white dude or a white woman? You know, do, who, who do you think it is? Because that's a question I ask myself all the time. Um, so while while meme culture is a big part of this, um, I feel like that's a a different beast that is kind of even worse than the um, than the OG um, of, uh, you know, patriarchy and, um, and misogynoir, because we can call out Jay-Z, right? We can call out Diddy, we can call out Russell Simmons, right? We know who they are. We can call out these artists because they can put their names on this piece of paper, right? But I can't name meme culture, and that's highly worrying to me. And will probably be something that will have to be explored um, in general, not just pertaining to uh, this particular topic. So we move on to sport, and uh, this is about uh, college football in the US. Um, so uh, it's hard to preface this uh, for those that don't know the dynamics of college football. Um, but just know that it's a uh, very widespread. It's all over the country. Um, there are many uh, bodies um, that govern college football, uh, and most importantly, um, college football players do not get paid. That's uh, I'll pre- I'll preface it with that, and uh, get into this because a very uh, big thing uh, happened uh, in the past couple of days. Um, and it's to do with specifically a conference in the co- in college football. So there are several conferences. Um, like think of it as think of it as counties um, in a country. Uh, it, yeah, like think of it as ca- uh, like a county, like Essex, Middlesex, you know, or 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 a state in a uh, or a state in the U.S. You know, your Colorados, your you know, Floridas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so think of it as that. Think of a conference as that. And uh, the Pac-12. Uh, a, a, Pacific American Conference? I don't know. Pac-12, just call it Pac-12, um, is a conference, and it's mainly based in the West Coast. Um, so, like, yeah, California, Washington State, um, uh, just uh, that kind that, those those kind of places, um, you know, Arizona. Um, yeah, so those kind of states, Western states, uh, mainly. And uh, the college football season was supposed to start next month, and I uh, don't know if you've noticed, but uh, Corona still exists in the U.S., <laughs> Um, in a very big way, and uh, obviously that's uh, not going to happen. Um, but uh, players, um, as part as part of a com- as part of a um, I guess a collective, 
have collectively penned a uh, a list of demands um, via the Players Tribune, and I will link that um, also along with this, uh, just for just so you guys can read that particular um, those particular demands. But I wanted to get into a commentary slash um, I guess interview with some of the players. Um, this is via the Undefeated. It's called Pac-12 Followed the Money and Found the Movement. This is by the big homie P- Bomani Jones. Uh, and let's just jump right in because it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good one. It's a meaty one. A seismic shift is happening uh, in the Pac-12. On Sunday morning, a group of players published a list of demands via the Players' Tribune see- uh, seeking improved health and safety protections as well as pushing for significant economic reform. But the most important issue to, to the hundreds of players behind this movement is racial justice. Quote, when we first got started, our only thought was coronavirus, said Jake Curtin, a redshirt senior cow who helped organise the players. We started talking to some of our teammates and they said, what about black, the Black Lives Matter issue? We don't want to detract, to detract them, uh, detract from their issue. Uh, the more we started talking with them, it became clear the two were the same issues. We is Curhan, uh, Valentino uh, Daltoso, uh, also a red shirt senior on Cal's football team, and Andrew Cooper, a cross-country runner who's the co-president of Cal's Student Athlete Advisory Committee. Cooper ran at Washington State, where he was president of the school's student athlete advisory committee and, Cal, and, and came to Cal to run and work on his master's degree in cultural studies of sport in education. Cohen is uh, clear that the three of them are not the leaders of this movement, but the organization of the players uh, started with them. And for Cooper, it started years ago when he was in Pul- uh, while he was in Pullman, Washington, while, uh, where his time as an athlete and a student athlete yeah, and with the Student Athlete Advisory Committee and his own independent research taught him two important lessons. Quote, I learned how this system will never change from within, ever. And the other, the only way a labour movement can be started is with a work stoppage, unquote. Cooper is from Issaquah, Washington, a 20-minute drive from Seattle. He turned down schools such as Harvard and Yale to pursue his dream of running professionally at Washington State. After losing his father during his freshman year, he realised advocacy... Uh, was where he wanted to take his life. After Tyler uh, Hilinski, Cougars quarterback, died by suicide in 2018, Cooper directed his uh, focus to mental health advocacy. It was at a Pac-12 council meeting when Cooper checked out on fixing fixing the system from the inside. Cooper recalled a speech on mental health given by Kate Fagan, formerly of ESPN, and the author of What Made Maddie Run, a bestseller about the mental health struggles of Madison Holleran, a distance runner at Penn who, like Hilinski, died by suicide. Cooper was enraptured, uh, calling it one of the best speeches he'd ever heard. Not everyone was engrossed, uh, was as engrossed. Quote, I'm looking around and some of these athletic directors are typing on their laptops, unquote, Cooper said. Uh, and I said, oh, okay, no one's trying to change anything. Athletes care so much uh, that we create initiatives on top of being overwhelmed. Uh, through being in the rooms, I learned that systemic change will not happen within the system, unquote. Uh, last summer, Cooper and a former teammate began designing a strike of the NCAA's uh, men's basketball tournament's Final Four. To them, that would be the only way for players to gain labour rights, and the project seemed feasible since it would uh, would only require buy-in from basketball teams, but the project proved too daunting and was ultimately shelved. Cooper arrived in Berkeley, California in the fall of 2019. Shortly thereafter, he met Kern, and uh, they stayed in touch. On July 1st, Cooper met Del Toso, connected by Ramogi Huma of the National College Players Association. Cooper was surprised that Del Toso, Kern's roommate, reached out, as the players had a great relationship with their head coach, uh, Justin Wilcox. But the danger and uncertainty presented by COVID-19 left them worried about participating in football uh, workouts and wondering why why they were there at all. Quote, The same ones handing these regulations are the ones set to make millions if we played, Altosa said. If our health and safety was number one, we wouldn't be on campus, unquote. Via group texts and social media, the Pac-12's players, many of whom in the California-centric conference, have been friends since childhood, compared notes on how their schools were handling COVID-19, quickly realising that they'd been told about uniform standards within the conference wasn't true. Quote, I, was thinking, I, I think we're doing pretty well at Cal, Cohen said. The fact we we're going to have to play uh, these other schools, a little unsettling, unquote. 
Cooper also noticed what he called big-time college athletes tweeting that they deserve to be paid. After a Zoom call with a player on every Pac-12 team, the scope of the building movement shifted. Uh, quote, coronavirus is the most pressing issue at the moment, but it's said, but it's just to put a spotlight, but it's just put a spotlight on how college athletics works. Daltoso said, uh, they rely so heavily on us to bring this money in, and we don't see a penny of it. At the end of the day, this is about money, and we've got to get paid. Unquote. By July 4th, Cooper Del Toso uh, and Curhan decided to focus on three major issues, racial justice, health and safety protections, and economic rights. The next day, the first Zoom call with players from every Pac-12 school took place. Quote, there was initial skepticism, but everyone on the Zoom stuck with us, Cooper said. After seeing the pitfalls of Northwestern's football teams attempt to unionize in 2015, the group realized uni- unionization was not the best route for them. From there, Cooper shared what he learned about organizing, which which he's clear to say is, quote, having as many one-on-one conversations with people as you can uh, for a cause, unquote. Cohen and Daltoso spent most of July making connections via social media, while Cooper provided advice and perspective. In the process, leadership emerged at the other Pac-12 schools. Quote, I feel like we've built a base of 200 to 300 leaders, Cooper said, and now all of those leaders are empowered with the information and reform and inform uh, their teammates uh, to join this as well. There's technically not one person running the show, said Washington State's Dallas Hobbs. It's a collective of people who really want to create change in their school, but around the whole Pac-12, unquote. The group chat now has 400 members. One of the members, Trey John Butler of Stanford, started communicating with players around the country in July about their school's commitment to social justice after the killing of George Floyd. Quote, We wanted to speak up about social injustice at first and felt our schools were silent, Butler said. Schools posted about Black Lives Matter and called it a day, unquote. From there, this his conversation start, uh, turned within the Pac-12 as players asked each other about the COVID-19 protocols at their schools. Butler said his colleagues were jealous of Stanford's weekly testing and diligence as they weren't receiving the same treatment, but many were afraid of opting out of voluntary workouts. Quote, guys who were at risk and who weren't comfortable were afraid of getting their money cut. Some guys said they had their money cut, unquote. Health and safety and racial justice are most important to Butler in this movement. Initially, he resisted to a push uh, for com- compensation because he didn't think it was a pressing matter, quote, unquote. Uh, then it got to a point where we were discussing money in a reasonable manner, he said, unquote. Uh, the organisers find it impossible to separate the economics of college football from the push for justice, quote, when these uh, schools talk about Black Lives Matter, it's kind of ironic, Daltoso said. The system, uh, the system they profit off uh, off of is exactly the opposite of that. It's divesting all these guys' rights, unquote. On July 31st, Huma and Ellen Strarovski, a uh, professor at Drexel University, released a study that positions amateurism as a tool of racial just injustice. Uh, they see it all as a wealth transfer, taking income from predominantly black athletes and giving it to predominantly white institutions, which pay the highest salaries for jobs, almost exclusively filled by white men. The study estimates that the value of each Pac-12 football player from 2017 to 2020 was $1,097,860. And for many players, this is when their services are most marketable. I think that whole that whole paragraph is literally just like, that that's that's a perfect paragraph to just like explain the bullshit that goes on in pertaining to paying players because obviously in foot in America football, um, I, I, I don't know the numbers but a lot of them, uh, a substantial amount of them are black and they come from poor areas, especially in stuff like the Southeastern Conference, which is you know like places like Alabama, Missouri, you know, you know stuff like that, you know. Um, the South, right? It's, it's just one million. Every player is worth a million. That's crazy to think about. And they get zilch. Z- zero. And they're being told to play. Wow. Maddening. I'm going to continue on to the last few paragraphs because it's a very lengthy uh, 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 obviously article and I'm, I'm losing a bit of time here. So um, I'll finish off with the last four paragraphs. 
How this ends remains to be seen. In 1970, eight Syracuse football players skipped a spring practice when their grievances were not addressed by their head coach. They were immediately suspended, and many believed they were blackballed from the NFL. In 2015, Missouri's football team threatened not to play a game in midst of campus protests. That game wasn't cancelled, but the embattled, embattled university president resigned soon thereafter. But the players were not protesting their own conditions. Lots of time has passed between those acts, but they're the only two that seem as momentous as what's happening in the Pac-12. Even in 2020, there are risks, as evidenced by Washington State coach Nick Rolovich's vaguely threatening reaction to his players who've joined this movement. But Holland is resolute, quote, I'm truly at peace uh, that if this affects my future, then what I did was right, unquote. Um, so, shout out to Bamani on that reporting, um, amazing article, um, apologies I couldn't get through it all um, for time reasons, but um, give it a read, and also go listen to um, ESPN Daily, uh, where Pablo Torre interviewed a few, uh, football, uh, a few college football players, and uh, one of the statements uh, they made, and this is one I really took away from, from it all, um, is... They only play college football for, you know, four or five years, right? That's four or five years of your entire life. So why is it worth risking? Because corona risks your life. You know, people have died from it. And, you know, there are some, um, you know, uh, uh, ideas floating about that, you know, it can affect your lung capacity for the rest of your life. You know, it can be... It can be there can be permanent damage, right? It's a possibility of that. It's not verified, but it's a possibility. So they were asking, like, what I'll be doing something different, completely different when I'm 50, 60. So, like, is it worth it? You know, is is all of this worth it? And uh, you know, that's that's something that um, I think all college football players from now. Um, and forever, to be honest, really need to think about. And if they don't get, if they're not getting paid, like you have to weigh it up, right? Are you going to make it to the NFL? Because that's the only way that you can maybe recoup, you know, your your the losses you made through college football. Um, so, but most of them don't make it to the NFL. A small percentage of them do. So, what about the rest of them? You know, so that's worth thinking about. So, uh, shout out to the Pac-12. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm very interested in how this uh, is going to, um, uh, how all of that is going to unfold. And we finish up with life, and uh, this is, I mean, to me it's funny, but uh, you know, if you live in America, I'm sure it's not funny. <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to read a little bit of this. Uh, this is. Uh, basically a uh, breakdown of the uh, of the Trump Axios interview um, it's called uh, they are dying that's true it is what it is Trump's Axios is uh, Axios interview was a disaster by Aaron Rupert of Vox and uh, I just wanted to get into it so if you guys haven't seen the interview like go watch the interview honestly it's actually fucking bonkers it's absolutely bonkers um, so I'm just gonna pick some I'm gonna pick some uh, of a uh, uh, some some paragraphs off this because um, obviously I don't need to and for time reasons I'm not gonna speak the whole thing. Uh, but we'll just get to the we'll just get to the meaty parts. Um, so uh, starting off with one uh, subheading which goes uh, Trump's coronavirus comments continue to be an embarrassment. Perhaps the most terrifying part of the interview came early on when Swan peppered Trump with a string of questions about why he isn't doing more to fight the coronavirus and why the virus has uh, hit the U.S. so much harder than the other, com- other comparable countries. Asked how he, can say, uh, how he can say the pandemic is under control when roughly a 1,000 Americans are dying from COVID-19 each day, Trump said remarkably that, quote, it is what it is. They are dying, that's true, it is what it is. It's under control as much as you can control it, unquote. On the topic of America's struggles with the coronavirus testing, including long wait times for test results that rendered testing almost worthless, Trump resorted to making stuff up. Quote, God, this quote is amazing. This this one quote is great. There are those that say you can test too much. You know that? Trump said at one point. Who says that? Swan responded. Read the manuals, read the books. Answered Trump. What books? Swan challenged, but no answer was forthcoming. Instead, Trump said that when I took over, we didn't even have a test. (laughs) 
as if the Obama administration was supposed to develop a test for a virus that didn't exist until three years after Trump's inauguration. It's so glorious. It's so glorious. Like, what the fuck is this guy saying? How does he expect Obama to predict the future? Like, what the fuck? And even if there was any pandemic measures which were set by Obama, Trump fucking ditched them. He, he, he rinsed them, bro. Like, it's, it's so funny. It's so fucking crease, like, and I'm I'm saying this as a British dude, like, fully, like, if I, if this affected me in every, any way, I'd be fucking pissed, but I I just have to laugh, I I just have to laugh, you can't not find this funny unless you're an American, like, it's actually crazy, bro said, you can, there's, there's such thing as too much testing, what the fuck does that even mean? How can you have too much testing? You fucking idiot. That is mad. That is actually mad. Alright, let's let's continue. This is it's just amazing. Alright, so um uh, a few minutes later, just as he did on Wallace's show, uh Trump waved around pieces of paper with charts and graphs in an unconvincing effort to make it seem as though the US coronavirus death toll of more than 150,000 isn't as bad as it seems. Quote, right here. The United States is the lowest in dot 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 numerous categories dot dot dot. Ah, we're lower than the we're lower than the world. <laughs> Trump's David, which prompted Swan to respond incredulously, lower than the world in what? And get this in a New Zealand accent, which makes it ten times more funnier. And someone referenced it uh, to uh, someone connected it to the thick of it. And if you guys seen the thick of it. And you watch that interview, oh my gosh, it's so perfect. It makes the interview just ten times more funny. It's so great. It literally is an episode of the thick of it. Anyway, um, uh, quote, Oh, you're doing death as a proportion of cases, Swan continued. I'm talking about death as a proportion of population. That's where the US is really bad. Much worse than South Korea, Germany, etc. Look at South Korea, 15 million population, 300 deaths, unquote. And this is another great, this is another amazing tasty quote. Trump responded by suggesting South Korea is faking its numbers. But when Swan challenged him on that point, Trump quickly changed the topic to the back to the pieces of paper. Here's one right here. You take the number of cases, no look, we're last, meaning we're first. I mean, a thousand Americans die a day, Swan responded. If hospital rates were going down and deaths were going down, I'd say terrific. You deserve to be praised for testing, but they're all going up. Um, there's also the exchange you can watch um, on YouTube as well. So just talk about Trump interview Axios. It's, 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 I think it's like half an hour. It's amazing. Um, in the minutes that followed, Trump failed to explain the contradiction between his claims about being a voracious consumer of intelligence reports and that he was never informed about intelligence that Russia was offering bounties for US troops in Afghanistan. That was reportedly said in, in, reportedly in said briefs, I read a lot. I comprehend extraordinary, extraordinarily well. Probably better than anybody you've interviewed in a long time, the president claimed. <laughs> oh, it's so great. It's, this is gold. This is actually gold. He also revealed total confusion about the difference between absentee and mail-in voting. Struggled to explain why he recently extended his well wishes to accused sex trafficker Ghislaine Maxwell. Yeah, I wish her well. I'd wish you well. I'd wish a lot of people well. Good luck. Uh, and also dismissed uh, video footage of federal law enforcement officials using a baton to beat a Navy veteran who's protesting in Portland. Uh, quote, I think that's actually Antifa should be investigated, not the law enforcement jobs in. Oh my gosh. Um, and there's also a, a big one about uh, uh, another chunk where he talks about race relations. Uh, let me get to that right quickly. Uh, just a... Uh, uh, talk, okay, it's a bit where he talks about John Lewis, which is... Uh, oh, wait, wait, this one is great. This one's great. All right. After Trump claimed he's done more for the black community than anybody, with the possible exception of Abraham Lincoln, whether you like it or not, Swan asked him, you believe you did more than Lyndon Johnson, who passed the Civil Rights Act? <laughs> Quote, how has, it, how has it worked out? Trump responded. If you take a look at what Lyndon Johnson did, how has it worked out? The interview closed with what should have been a softball. How do you think history will remember John Lewis? Swan asked. Uh, but instead of in paying lip service to Lewis's record as a civil rights icon, Trump denigrated him for the pettiest of reasons. Quote. Quote. I don't re- I really don't know. I don't know. I don't know John Lewis. He chose not to come to my inauguration. 
taking your relationship with him out of it. Uh, that's what Trump said. Uh, this is what Son says. Uh, taking your relationship out of it, uh, with him out of it, do you find this story impressive, what he's done for this, this country? Swan followed up. Quote, he was a person that devoted a lot of energy and a lot of heart to civil rights, but there were many others also. Out fucking standing. He actually is mentally like that. There's something wrong. There, there has to be. There has to be something wrong with him. Like that, that, that. The brain comprehension throughout that interview. You, please, guys, go watch it. Like my me reading it does not do it justice. It's, it's, it's fucking amazing. It's actually amazing. Like I, I've never seen anything like it. It's, it, it's, it's certified. It's certified nuts. Like it, it is amazing. <laughs> And with that said, I shall leave it there on that amazing note. Um, <laughs> I feel so sorry for any Americans, honestly, because like, Jesus Christ, like Boris is an idiot, right? But at least he, at least he tries to sound smart. Like this dude just has zero filter, and not in like the you know, fuck, fuck, you know, free speech, yeah, man, you know, not in trying, not in like the 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 the, the edgy. Uh, way of uh, no filter, right? Like you know, edgy comedians, right? He just has no filter in just in brain capacity. Like he just, it's it's just not there. He's devoid of it. It's so wow. I I hearts go out to America, man. Jesus Christ. Anyway, find the fifth home podcast network. I've been Charlie and it's been what's good. Intro music has been uh, was uh, too much by Vanilla. Interlude music is visited by Poldor. You can find both of their tunes uh, via their websites, um, not Bandcamp. They actually have websites. Well, what, well, I think Vanilla has Bandcamp. I forget the links, but just go peep their fucking links, man. Their music slaps. Um, shout out to Chill Up Records for the busy Uzi songs. You can find their entire discography via Bandcamp link in the full show notes. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Hope you all have a great week. I shall always try and do the same. And if you're having a shit week, just go watch the Trump interview. <laughs> it makes you feel better. It's made me feel better. Honestly, it's just great. It's amazing comedy. <laughs> Hope you have a good week. I should always try to do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.